Lord, thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. And thank you that we can be together this morning. And we thank you that your people are around together um, throughout the world, uh, depending on the, the differences of time zones and all that, Lord, obviously. But you are the, the God of the entire world. And as we sang here, let us uh, not be slack in the, the work that you've given us to fulfill the Great Commission and to, to, to bring the gospel to people who are dying and who are separated from you, both right here in Edgewood, um, maybe even just right across the street from the church, from our, from our homes, uh, but also in, in places such as Puebla, Mexico, such as uh, Niger in Africa, uh, in Asia, and in, in many other places around the world, every place around the world, Lord. Thank you that you are at work and that we get to be part of that. Please encourage us and challenge us today with the unity of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at things, one of our, 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 the things that we emphasize in our church in Puebla is our values as a church. As we started the church, we sat down, the leaders who were involved in planting this church we, were in, we, uh, we came up with seven values that we really want to define us as a church. And so here, here in brief they are. We are a church of grace, so the value of grace. Uh, we are a teachable church, a church that always wants to learn, both learn from God's word, learn from one another, and have the humility. Really being teachable has to do with humility. Next is integrity to be in a church that really we do what we say we are. We are and we live out who we are in reality in Christ. We are serving church, a church that serves one another and it's a church that serves our community in tangible, practical ways. We are a united community. That's what we'll focus on today. We are a church of faith, built on faith. Faith is closely linked to obedience in the Bible. If I don't really believe, if I don't really obey, it's probably a sign that I don't really believe. And finally, we are a joyful church, a church that celebrates and enjoys love. We love being together. There's a lot of laughter that goes on in our church, and I'm, I'm so thankful that, for that because I prefer to laugh over being serious any day. So, but today we're focused on being a united community. And so, so today what I want to do is I want to look at that. And so we'll give you a little bit of Spanish, since we're missionaries in Mexico. So, las hormigas. Anybody want to, can, can you say las hormigas? Very good. All right. Very good. So ants. Ants live in community. Have you ever noticed that? Perhaps. And uh, they live in a very highly structured community with really basically no individuality. Correct. If you know much about ants. Tigers. Tigers are kind of the opposite, aren't they? Let's say it together now. Los tigres. Los tigres. Very good. Los tigres blancos are our rivals on the flag football field down there. So uh, we're the jaguars, that la, los jaguares, but they're the tigres. But uh, tigers are kind of the opposite. Tigers don't really live in community. They tend to be social, um, socially isolated from one another. Everyone's got his his uh, cats tend, cats just, let's face it, are loners, aren't they? And I, uh, I'll make no apology to you cat lovers. Um, so, and then finally we get los borregos. We'll just go, we'll just stick with los borregos. One, two, three, los borregos. 
okay? Uh, the Rams. Uh, so I went to, the Wilson, to Wilson High School. Drew is going to Wilson High School, the Rams. But his school in Mexico is also actually happens to be the Borregos, bighorn sheep. And of course, sheep and that class of animal, they, they live in herds, don't they? But it's instinctive. It's based on instinct and protection and, and all those sorts of things. Um, so human beings, although unlike tigers, we live in community, we're not robots like ants, and we don't just live together in community based on instinct. We do it by choice. We were made, um, we were made to live in community, um, even though that means sometimes we do butt heads, right? Occasionally, unfortunately. And that's part of the, the basic story of, of human being. We were made originally to live in community because if you know the gospel story, we had a perfect creator who made a perfect world. And originally, Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with each other. They were naked and not ashamed. And they lived in perfect harmony and community with God. And that was how we were made. God himself exists in community, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, and so we, we see how we, we learn about both ourselves, how we were meant to live, and about God himself as we examine the fact that we live in community. But what happened? When Adam, Adam and Eve sinned and ate the forbidden fruit, we see that that broke their community. Um, uh, they hid from God, and then immediately that community was broken between Adam and Eve. What was the first thing that, that Adam says? Um, well, I was ashamed because I knew I was naked. Who told you you were naked, God says. And then what does Adam do? The woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. Right? And, uh, and of course, that's not going to do out that relationship any favors, is it? Blaming, and I say this from personal experience, does not help your marriage relationship. And, uh, and so, but that's what sin has done. It's broken that community. And immediately, um, it's been that way. So Adam and Eve's relationship was broken. And of course, their sons, Cain and Abel, Cain murdered Abel. Uh, that's about as far as it goes to, to break a relationship, isn't it? Um, and God sent the flood a few chapters later in Genesis because of violence among humans. But... The cross and the empty tomb changed everything. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He rose from the dead on the third day and was seen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, and one of the things that God has done through his work um, in Jesus Christ, through the work of the gospel, is to form a new community, to, to renew and restore that community. In Christ, God is making the perfect community, the body of Christ. And we see that in Galatians chapter 3, where Paul says, There is no Jew or Greek or slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says the same thing. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So God in, in Christ, through the gospel, has set out to restore that community to the human race. 
And so that is, that's the story that we're plugging into now here in, in, uh, in this, this study today um, with what are we as a united community. And so here I would challenge you, if you have notes in your bulletin, um, you're welcome to, to, to follow along uh, and, and fill in a few blanks. But here's basically the idea. The idea for Pueblo de Esperanza, they're in Puebla, uh, but I would challenge you here in Edgewood um, with this. Let us be a united community. In the work and life of my church, I will value and live out the unity of the gospel. So I want to challenge you collectively as a church, recognizing the community here, but I also want to challenge you, each one of you, as an individual. How are you in your work, in the work, in your, your activities, and in just your lifestyle, the things that you do, the habits and the patterns of your life? How are you living out and valuing the unity of this church? So that's one of the things that, that we constantly um, work on and challenge. I think, I think the to live out values as a church requires reminding us continually of those things. And so that's what we want to do. And so we're in Acts chapter 2 here. And, uh, and, and because that's where the story of this new community uh, truly begins in, in, in terms of its, its birthplace, its moment of birth. So Acts chapter 2 is, as you probably know, the day of Pentecost. So Christ, has, in Acts chapter 1, has ascended to heaven. He's left his disciples there, said, I will send the Spirit. And Acts 2 is the fulfillment of that promise, that great promise of Christ, where he sends the Holy Spirit. And Peter preaches the first sermon of the church, and 3,000 people are uh, believe and are baptized. And so that's where we're, we're going to pick up the story here in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Uh, as we start this, I realize that we're going to proceed with a little bit of caution. Acts is one of those fantastic books, but it's also one of those difficult books because it's sometimes hard to know, okay, what is this, where is this story going with this? Is it saying we need to copy them and do what they say and be just like them? Or is it more teaching us along the lines of principles that God is working out here uh, in the life of his his church. And so, uh, so not everything here is necessarily just do straight up this, but it's also scripture. And so as such, it's inspired, it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for instruction in righteousness. And so we want to work on that here this morning. So let's take a look here. First off, we have the work of the church. The immediate, this is kind of the, the kernel, the nutshell of what happened immediately in the church. And so here we go in, in verse 41. So those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So the work of the church starts off here with evangelism. That first day we had salvation. A bang. 3,000 people were saved. And you remember, of course, when, when Jesus said, that his disciples would do greater things than he did. And that may be one of, of those things. Um, of course, we as a church don't save anybody. That's not our work. We're messengers of the gospel. Um, but yet, we fit in that, 
in, in the role of salvation. Uh, we're God's agents. We're messengers of salvation. And so salvation is connected with the church. And again, not that we save people, but that God works and salvation truly will bring people into the, the church. And so evangelism is part of that. How is our passion and our evangelism? One of you guys that came down on the, on the church had a great passion for that. And it was challenging to me um, to see Jim at work and, uh, and, um, and, and, and sharing the gospel, the passion to share, people, share gospel. The song that we sang about a passion for the, of the loss, the burden of having, knowing that people are, are dying and going to hell, that should weigh on us. And that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to live with. And uh, you know, personally, I prefer to avoid thinking about that as, as much as I can. But you know what? I need to. We need to. Because our work as a church is evangelism. How that looks is going to be different, I think, for every church and every one of us. But there, there it is. Then we go into baptism. That first day, they took 3,000 people, were saved, and baptized. And sometimes we think, ah, oh, that's 3,000 people? Are you serious? But archaeologically, there, there was room in Jerusalem to do that. There were pools, there were places, there was a system um, that they could do that in Jerusalem from all the stuff that I've read and, and, and looked at. So that very first day, baptism or salvation, receiving Christ, puts us on a trajectory towards baptism. That's always the logical next step. The New Testament doesn't know Christians who are not baptized and who are not part of a church. And so that's the trajectory. There's no instruction that it needs to be that same day, that next week, but so whatever. I think there's, a, there's freedom in that, but that's the next part. And so two weeks ago there in Puebla, it was my joy to, to be there, and we filled up this pool uh, of 4,000 liters in our backyard, and, uh, and we baptized six people. We baptized three young boys from age 10 to about 14. We baptized an older guy in his 60s, and uh, we baptized two ladies, one who accepted Christ in the spring with us, and one that's, that made a profession of Christ earlier this year, and, and, and it was just so exciting to see her uh, baptized. And so that's what the work of the church is evangelism, which leads to salvation, which leads to baptism. And then, and then immediately, part of our work is unity. We have four activities that united the church here in these, these days. So I'm going to throw them all under the, the, the category of unity, but there's four things here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay? So teaching... Obviously, one of those first things is teaching. Um, Jesus taught the apostles who taught the church. Faithfulness to the, te the teaching of Jesus breeds unity. The disciples were commissioned with faithfully teaching and preaching the message of Christ. And as we hold to their teaching, we are maintaining that unity with Christ. So, and then sharing. Sharing. The word here actually is uh, the word that won the National Spelling Bee uh, this year. Does, does anybody follow the National Spelling Bee? Uh, this year we were in a hotel in Los Baños, California, and uh, on our way up here, 
and we watched the very end of the National Spelling Bee, which is kind of interesting. One of our favorite family movies is Aquila and the Bee, and that's also about the spelling bee. Anybody see that? Anybody know what the, the winner was this year? What was that word? Nobody knows? It's the word here. Koinonia. Koinonia was the, the winning word. And uh, so that, of course, means sharing, participation. And so, so that's what the early church did. They won spelling bees. No, actually, no. They, uh, they participated. They shared. They did life together. It's sharing material goods, but it also can share experience, sharing our lives together. And so that is an important part of maintaining and building the unity of a church, is sharing. Next up, we have communion, the communion of the church. And that's what we have. That's pretty special that we have this this morning, um, the communion. The breaking of bread is, the tech, is, what, is what Luke writes here. And that's the technical term for the Lord's Supper, for communion. And that's a reminder for us as we do this. Obviously, it's a reminder of what Christ did for us. But it also should be a reminder to us that we're all on a level playing field here. We all need the broken body and the blood of Christ. There ain't none of us that comes into salvation, that achieves forgiveness of sins, that becomes part of the body of Christ, apart from depending on what Christ did for us. I have no advantage over any of you. None of you has an advantage over me or, or others. We're all the same, and that unites us. So communion is also a time to remind us that we're all in this together. And so that's what the early church, one of the very first things that they did was. Next, prayer. And of course, this is one of the great uniting actions that we, that we can do, that we ought to be doing as a church, to be praying one for another. Um, and I would encourage you to, be, to build up a culture of prayer as a church. And one of the things that you personally can do that is, have you ever just stopped talking and you've been talking to someone here and you've been sharing a need, they've been sharing a need with you, and you just said, let me pray for you right now. You know, one of, the, one of the Christianese things that we tend to do is, oh, I'll, I'll be sure to pray for you. And if we're honest, and I was convicted of this years ago, how often do we really do that? You know, there's apps and stuff. I, I'm better about praying now because of an actual app on my, on my phone. Um, but a better thing to do is, let's stop and pray right now. Imagine if, if there were a, every so often here in the church, there was just a couple people here, and, and they were just praying for each other doing that. Um, and that, was, that, that would be unity here through prayer. And it's not hard to do either. It doesn't have to be weird um, either. So those four actions were the work of the church. Again, we see teaching and, 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 uh, teaching and sharing and communion and prayer. The work of the church was evangelism, and being united right away in those first few days after, those, after the day of Pentecost. And ultimately, action, moving. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. God worked. And now again, this is one of those tricky things. We'll talk about signs and wonders and stuff, and we'll actually we'll take those and set them aside for the moment. Um, and... 
and to say simply, when God, when a church is united, when a church is being faithful to their work, God is going to act. Um, there are going to be marriages healed and restored. The sick will be cared for and made well. Needs are going to be met. Hurting people are going to be restored. And, uh, and so God does his signs and wonders. And I would be a cessationist in terms of the miraculous gifts today. But I would say God's action is at work. God's wonders are when our lives are changed and transformed. And so that is the work of the church. So we see this first thing, unity in those first immediate days of the church. And that was the immediate work. That's what a church basically should be doing. But then that brings us to the life of the church. See, the next four verses, 44 through 47, are kind of a summary statement. They're kind of bringing to an end chapters 1 and 2 and transitioning into chapters 3 and, and on, the first few days of the early church as well. So let's take a look here, 44 on through 47. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So once again, the life of the church. And that has to do with unity. Uh, being together. So these four parts of unity. Just being together. How important is it for you here at Edgewood just to do life one with another? To have your friendships here in the church. To do even, to do camping trips or, or hang out with friends here in the church. That's kind of just being together. Everything in common. This is one of those tricky parts for Acts chapter 2. And so I'll just start off saying this is not communism. Um, it's voluntary, so that means it's not communism. It's also temporary because the church didn't really seem to have continued this for very long or, or in other parts of the Roman Empire as it was spreading. And we saw that this pretty quickly had, there were some problems with, with this. But the church cared for each other's needs. And that's a church that we all want to be part of. That's a church that outsiders want to be part of. And then meeting together. Again, being part of a normal life together. Doing life together. Then we have community. Communion, rather. This is, again, the same expression as in, in, in verse 42. The, the breaking of bread, which is the technical expression for the Lord's Supper. But Luke doesn't just leave it at that. He says, eating. And this is actually eating together. So meals. And what brings us together better than eating with another person? The church potluck, right? Um, and that is, of course, always throughout human history, one way to bring people together. Even enemies, when you have a meal together, um, there's rules about hospitality and what you do and don't, don't do with someone who's eaten in your tent, under your roof. And so, uh, so hospitality is a crucial part of United Church. And in Puebla, even, one of, one of our favorite, one of my, my favorite times is 
hanging out and eating at Bible studies typically will have just sweet bread and coffee. You know what? The pan dulce costs us about two bucks worth of, of bread and, and, and that gives us about eight or nine pieces and, uh, and, and you know, fix a, fix a thing of coffee and we hang out there until 10.30 at night with our men. So, so eating together, even if it's that simple. Um, praise. Praise. It's interesting that this is praising God, literally is giving thanks. Um, and one of the neat things that we do in Puebla, actually, is we have, and it, it, it wouldn't necessarily work in bigger churches, but we have a time of prayer requests and praise. And honestly, I would say probably more than 50% of the prayer requests of the time, that sharing time, is praise. People giving thanks for for, for someone who's well now and they were sick or someone giving thanks for their job or someone, someone giving thanks for a birthday, okay? You know, Mexicans um, share things. I think it may not work necessarily in our culture here, but praising God together, giving thanks to God together for what he's done, that is part of the life of the church that brings us together. And finally, the reputation. And in uh, one of the studies that we did at there in Puebla this year was, was in the pastoral epistles. God, um, um, God establishes his list of qualities for church leaders. And basically to sum all that up is God wants his leaders, the, the pastors and elders and teachers and deacons of a church to be people of good reputation, both inside and outside the church. Um, well, you know what? God wants his whole church to have a good reputation inside and outside his church. Let us be known by our good works. Let us be known by our generosity and service. Um, let Edgewood be known in this community for being that kind of a church, that kind of a place. And finally, as we look at all those things in the life of the church, the result that's going to happen naturally is growth. And I don't mean like contemporary church growth movement. I don't mean necessarily explosive, like 3,000 people in a day kind of movement. But I just mean there's going to be slow, steady, sure growth. Because this is an attractive place to be. Is it not a group of people that truly serve and care for one another, that are united, that we know what's going on in each other's lives? That takes work. It's easier in our culture just to live out my life and kind of put my head down and go. Um, that is much easier in our culture. We have all the infrastructure. We have the TV, the entertainment. We can live kind of life self-contained in a pod, can't we? I have to work to step outside of my pod and involve and, and invest my life in a community here. But you know what? The way... God has designed his church is that if we obey him and do this, we're going to grow. We're going to grow because that is something that people want and hunger for. And America more and more as we grow more and more split up and individualistic and this is my group and I want nothing to do with your group and I'm trying to get power against this group. It's very, very evident um, every day in this country what would happen if we lived as a united community? What would happen if we did our lives differently, both as individuals and as 
a community as the body of Christ. And so I want to, to, uh, to take a look here. This picture is from our church retreat in, in February. And you see the complete whole depends on individuals. That's the way God has designed his church, the body of Christ. The complete whole working depends on these individuals exercising and using their gifts to serve as part of a united community. So I want to encourage you and challenge you here, Edgewood. Let us be a united community. In the work and life of my church, I will value and live out the unity of the gospel, the unity that comes from depending on Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, depending on his death and on his resurrection to give me my identity, depending on my value as a person on what he did for me and recognizing that that value that he gives to me is one that he's given to all of us here as well. And so I'm going to live out my life prioritizing and valuing and structuring the order of my schedule in the week, perhaps, to live out my life for the unity of the gospel here at Edgewood. And so we would encourage you, think what God would do with you. Think what God is doing. We trust that we could tell many stories about how God is using that in Pueblo Nuevo. And it's so special to us when we get visitors who come in, um, people who say, you know what? This is so different. You guys, there's a joy. I feel so welcome. I feel so part of things. You care for one another. And we've had families. We had a girl at, at flag football that blew out her knee. And we as a church could care for her and care for her family. And, um, and, and her family's there at church now. Her dad has made a profession of faith. And so we're so excited about being able to serve them and pull them into our community. People see family. People see community. And more and more, they want to be part of that. And so I would encourage you to, to work at it. Every step of the way is hard. Every step of the way, there's going to be opposition from people in your life, from schedules, from work, from sports, from other things. But it's worth it. Fight that battle. Live life as a united community and honor Christ as his body here in Edgewood. I'm going to close in prayer and we'll, uh, I'll let the pastors come up for, for the communion. Lord, thank you for the design that you have. You see what we need because you made us. You made us to be in community. And, uh, and Lord, you love us and you, um, you've saved us. And now, Lord, I pray that you would give us the vision and the courage and the discipline and the wisdom to know how to live out that life as a community, as the body of Christ here in Edgewood and in Puebla as well. So be glorified. Let the body of Christ do its work as a community that's united and that honors the name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Let him be exalted. Amen.